Isn't that great? We always, uh, we always highlight the children during Advent. It's especially challenging this year. Thank you, Julie. And the children's ministry for figuring out a creative way to bring the children here. Seven of them are downstairs. But we're not at the point where they're with us. So that's why they sang. So pretty amazing. And our staff is very simple. We just said, what do we do during Advent? This is a very special time of the year, Advent is. And so how do we bring the children in without having them here with us? And so that was one of the ways they came up with. So be creative. I look forward to seeing what happens in the future Sundays, how they do this. Okay, Advent. Advent is a very important time in the Christian calendar. It's a time when we celebrate the appearing of the Messiah, Jesus. It's a time when we look back. It's a time when we reflect on what happened, why we celebrate Christmas, but it's also a time when we look forward because he is coming back. So today we're actually focusing on hope. That's the first Sunday. Um, How many of you a year ago even imagined any Advent like what we're doing today? Anybody? Nobody, huh? How about in March when the world shut down? Figured we'd be doing this this way. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. And yet here we are, figuring out creative ways to celebrate. Thanks for coming. And for those of you that are watching online, thank you so much for joining us for our first Sunday of Advent. Okay, to get into this whole concept of hope, I want you to, first of all, think, uh, let's go back and look at what the world would have looked like in about maybe 5 or 6 B.C., just before Jesus was born. Okay? So, we go back... And you had heard for over 400 years that the Lord is coming back. Okay? So the southern kingdom was uh, the, the taken out, scattered around the nations. He brought them back. And then he promised that a prophet uh, bigger than Moses would come. Malachi closes the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, with the promise that Isaiah is returning. And Jesus tells us that that is John the Baptist to prepare the way. And so, but you go 450 years, silence, silence. Not a word from the Lord, nothing written. We call that the intertestamental period. The Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins, but there's 450 years in between. And there's not a word from the Lord. You see, here was the problem that when they were deported and scattered around the nations, they knew They knew it was because of their sin. Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books make it clear that uh, when they were allowed to come back into the land, that they had to really repent of their sin. That's why we talked about Nehemiah 1 during heading up to the election and being a church of confession and humility and repentance because they confessed their sins and they knew it was because of sin. They knew that the glory of the Lord had left the temple and had not come back. They understood that. And so they were waiting for the Lord to return, for that prophet greater than Moses to come. But then there's 450 years of silence. God is not in a hurry. We struggle when it's only 10 months. Imagine 450 years. I keep waiting for the Lord to put an end to all this craziness that we're all experiencing. Um, I don't know what the new normal looked like. All I know is the Lord is never in a hurry. And so you have gone generation after generation through those years with a father, grandfather, reading promises in the temple, in the synagogues, in their homes, reading promises, 
out of this Old Testament about the coming Messiah, generating hope. One of the questions we need to wrestle with today is what actually is true hope? What is it based on? It's not based on how the world conceives of hope. I can tell you that. For the world, what they conceive of in the way of hope is I hope something comes to pass. Oh, I hope I get this raise. Oh, I hope my house loan goes through. But that's not the biblical concept of hope. Hope is based on certainty. We have hope because of the proof of Jesus being raised from the dead, for example. Okay? Several of you have picked up on the last few months. I've kind of been bringing this theme out. Thank you, by the way, for the feedback that uh, where one of the ways that we are different than the world is that our hope is based on a future certainty. You see, the future for us is already certain. If anyone is in Christ, they're part of the new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. So the future is our certainty today. It's our reality. We actually live in two worlds at the same time. Paul argued in Ephesians 2 that we are sitting at the right hand of Christ right now, but yet we're experiencing a very broken world. But for us, the future is a certainty. It's already a guarantee. That's one of the ways that churches differ from businesses. We're not trying to set goals to drive where we're going. We already know where we're going. Our goal, our challenge is to take what's in the future and bring it into the present and live it out so that the world can see the kingdom. So what is our certainty? Well, we're not going to be complainers. We already know that from Philippians 2. So why not practice now? We're going to love each other perfectly. Why not start learning how to do that now? We're not going to be afraid. First John, perfect love casts out fear. We have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. So why don't we practice that now? We live in a world that surrounds us that is terrified, anxious, angry, hostile, divided, divisive. None of those are part of our future or our present. They shouldn't be. So as elders and leaders in a church, our goal is to figure out what is the future and how to bring it into the present today. How to help you begin to really experience the fullness, the joy that comes from living the way God designed you and created you to live with the Spirit. And not only does that bring joy to us, it also gives a glimpse to the world of what the true kingdom looks like. How else are they going to see it? So our hope is not based on a possibility. Our hope is based on a certainty. In other words, we can look forward with confidence to the return of the Lord, the advent. That comes from a Latin word, which means the appearing of the Lord. He appeared once, he's going to appear again. And we can live with that certainty, and you really have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing at all. Okay, so how did they generate these ideas of hope? How did they pass this down from generation to generation so that they lived within this world, okay? Their world was not a very good world. I've read studies that said the average age of a person who was just a a peon, if you will, was only about 28. They often died ridiculed with disease, gum disease, all kinds of issues. The elites lived longer, but they had much better medical care. And so there's not a lot of hope. 
Israel at this time is occupied by Rome. They're under Roman control. Uh, Rome decided everything that happened. They allowed them to worship their God, but they controlled everything. And that's not the way we, they were designed to be. They longed for the day when the kingdom would be reestablished like under David when they had freedom and liberty. Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's what we're created for. So they're living in this world that is not at all fit their values. These early uh, people of God didn't fit their values. We know the Roman Empire. We know that it funded euthanasia, abortion, infanticide, worship of many gods. It funded all those things. And that wasn't what the people of God wanted to live with. But that's what they had to live with. Some things never change. We live with things today that we don't like, don't we? We're surrounded with a world that's afraid and terrified. So in the midst of this world, how did they generate hope? Okay, and not give in to fear. Well, I'm going to read to you some of the passages out of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the major books in our theology as Christians. Isaiah was written in three parts. Okay? The first part, Isaiah is writing to the southern kingdom, telling them they're about to be uh, deployed. They're about to be kicked out of Jerusalem and sent, scattered around the world because of their sin. So the first third is written to them. The second, the middle part, is written to them while they're in exile, saying the Lord has not forgotten you. And then the third part is prophetic after they come back, saying here's what's coming. And so Isaiah is one of those books where most of our Christmas passages come from that we celebrate, and several of them you're going to recognize today. So you can imagine living in this world that they lived in, a very dark world, a very harsh world, under the control of another government that they didn't like, at all. And so they read these passages generation to generation, family to family, in their homes, in their temples, I mean in the temple, and in their synagogues. The first one is Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Okay? Well, where's God? Can you imagine? You know, as best we can tell, Jesus was born maybe 4 or 5 B.C. The calendar's not quite lined up with historical reality. So can you imagine people living at that time? They haven't heard from God for 450 years. God with us? How's that? We haven't seen any evidence of that. His glory's not in the temple. There's no word from the Lord given to the priests. None of that. Silence. Silence. But yet, here's a promise. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. By faith, by really long, hard faith, over many, many years, we believe that the Lord will come back. He will send us a son. God with us. If you turn over to Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9, again, these are all famous words to you. This is how they regenerated hope. This is how they lived their lives, committed to faithfulness. I'm going to start in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. That's interesting. No more gloom. How's that? He'll explain it in a minute. 
In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness, here's one of those famous verses, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Okay, you notice how it's cast in the present tense? It's, it's showing us what the world is like when Jesus comes back. Okay? By the way, those living in darkness, walking in darkness, that's a reference to the Gentiles. That's us. This is a passage about us. Light is coming. How, you ask? Well, when you go down to verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. So apparently he's going to do away with the Roman Empire. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a surprise that when the Messiah came, he didn't do away with the Roman Empire. He worked through the empire to accomplish his purposes. Much like he's doing today. That's why way back a month ago, feels like an eternity for many of us, um, when we were heading up to the election, we said... Cast your vote, but don't worry. Trust the Lord. Romans 9. No authority has been established except that which is established by God. He is in charge. He knows what he's doing. I don't. And neither do any of us. But we know that it's good, whatever it is. Okay? And so here it is. The government's going to rest on his shoulders. He's going to work through the government. This is how he's going to do it. So he just said a son, a virgin is going to give birth to a son. And here he says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. When you turn over to Isaiah 11, you even have a little bit more. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from the root of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Something is coming. Now remember, Jesus hasn't come yet. We're talking to these families. These, we're talking about these people that are there at the very end of that 450 years. How tired they must be of waiting. He hasn't come yet, but this is one of those passages. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And here's what we know about this branch, this shoot. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Whoever this shoot is, this son, this child... He will be wise. I pray almost every day that the Lord would give more wisdom to our leaders than they currently have. They need it. By the way, so do you. You need more wisdom. This is what it means to serve the Lord, to be wise. But also the spirit of counsel and of might. This is what's going to describe this Root, this shoot, this branch coming out of Jesse. Spirit of counsel and of might. He knows how to guide us and lead us. And furthermore, he has the power to do it. But that's not all. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Deep, deep respect. He will teach us what it means to fear God. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That's Isaiah chapter 11. 
So these are just some of the passages. There's many more that they would have read. They would have been familiar to them. Waiting, 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 waiting. Now the amazing thing about this is for this group of people at the very end of that time, waiting, the Messiah had already come. Mary's already pregnant. They just don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. So imagine living in this world of darkness, trying to remember that the Lord is faithful and he is coming back and he had already come and they weren't aware of it yet. I'm going to read to you Matthew chapter 1. This is a story of what had already happened at the time in these people's lives and they didn't even know it yet. Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This was allowed under the law, by the way. But after he had uh, considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her or in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, what name? Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the name Jesus comes from what we know as Joshua, um, which means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. Emmanuel, God with us. So while these people at this very last part of time are waiting for the Messiah, the Messiah comes in the form of a baby. He's already there. That's something important to remember because Jesus already is a reality in our lives. Already. When we uh, Last year, a year ago, whatever it was, I lose track of time when pandemics hit. <laughs> a year ago when we went through uh, the seven letters of Revelation, one of the things we saw was that Jesus was standing in the midst of the church. He's right here with us. We can't see him yet. That day's coming. Remember I said we live in two realities at the same time. We live in one reality that prepares us to minister in the other reality. So the reality, which is our, our certainty today, is that we are seated at the right hand of Christ right now. Do you believe that? Boy, it's so easy to forget that, isn't it? Right now, that is our reality. Right here. And right now, our reality is that Jesus is present with us right in our midst. But we also live in this other reality called a broken world in which our responsibility is to to live our lives of faith the way God created us to live and the way he empowers us to live so that the world can see the kingdom. Okay, how did the world see the coming Messiah which we celebrate at Christmas? Through God's people. Reciting these passages, living lives of honor, 
living the way God asked them to live. That's how the ancient world was prepared for the coming of the Messiah. How is the world today prepared for the coming of the Messiah a second time? How is the world today prepared? By looking at us. Ephesians 3, to God be the glory in the church. That's how. We've talked about it many times. You see, this is what Advent truly is about. We look to the past in celebration and joy, and we look to the future with certainty and hope. You see, our hope is real. It's not pretend. You have nothing to worry about. It's not something that may or may not happen. That's how the world defines hope. Our hope is defined on the reality, and God provided proof, Paul says, by raising Jesus from the dead. So it's already a certainty. Already. We get to enjoy both worlds at the same time. What is the Lord's Prayer? You will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. You see, that's what the church is all about. We live out this reality that we already know and experience. We live it out in a way that our friends and neighbors can look and say, why are you different? In my lifetime, I have never seen the opportunities to demonstrate faith than right now. Nowhere near. This is an unprecedented time for us to live out our faith. It really is. I don't place my hope in the Department of Public Health and in science. I place it in the Lord God who leads us. Now, I am a fan, a huge fan of being responsible. So I wear this everywhere I go. But my hope is not in this. My hope is not in a vaccine. My hope is in the Lord. That's really where my hope is. Because that is our reality. That's our true reality. COVID may take me. The flu might take me. I might get in a car and drive and I may have an accident. That might take me. Psalm 139 says, the minutes that I live are predetermined by the Lord. He has determined all of them. I believe that. I am a big fan of, of, of having a great relationship and protecting everyone in our church. That's why I keep thanking you. Thank you, by the way. I watched all of you come in wearing your masks, washing your hands, uh, sanitizing them. Uh, I went down and checked the children coming in, doing the same thing, checking their temperature, cleaning their hands. I'm very grateful for that. I really am. But where is our true hope? It's with the Lord. Because it's already a certainty for us. It already is. And I'll be the first to admit to you that this is a challenge. I still read the daily news feed every day. Every day. To watch what's happening in our country, our county, and around the world. And I remind myself every day to take the posture of Psalm 2. The Lord laughs at the nations. I'm not a scientist. 
but I don't think we can control this. And we should be very careful where we place our hope. Wear your mask. But trust the Lord. Does that make sense? This is what Advent is all about, to remind us of where we've come, the coming of the Messiah, which is certain, with the future, the return of the Messiah, which is also certain. One is now historical proof, and the other one is now coming. That's our hope. So just like these ancient families, they read these passages over and over and over again, We're going to be reading them throughout the week. If you're not getting the devotions, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, let us know. Short and sweet, but their goal is just to anchor you in a verse. That's all it is. In a passage to remind you of the goodness of the Lord. This is his creation. And to keep us focused in the right way. And to help us place our hope in the right place with the Lord. I wonder what it was like. I just wonder what it was like when they found out, oh, the Messiah has already come. We didn't even know that. Stories in Acts are fabulous. When Paul asks, for example, were you baptized? What baptism, baptism were you baptized into? Into the baptism of Moses. Well, what about the Spirit? We hadn't heard the Spirit came. Can you imagine the, the look on their faces, the, the joy that was generated? When time after time after time they realize the Messiah came. That's what happened one day. He's already here. We can't see him. But all of a sudden one day he's going to materialize. I love the sermon or the statement in Acts 2 when Jesus ascended. The disciples are standing there staring at the clouds. (laughs) Imagine what it was like for them. Four years earlier... They didn't even know the Messiah was here. They came to know Jesus and realized that he was Emmanuel, God with us. And then they watched him beaten and taken away. And then they watched him come back, raised from the dead. And then they watched him ascend into the clouds. I can't even imagine the emotions to go through that cycle And they're staring into heaven. And what does the angel say standing there? Why are you guys staring into heaven? He's coming back. Emmanuel, God with us. Our hope is based on certainty. Not possibility. Father, thank you for for bringing us a Messiah. Thank you for not forgetting your promise. You came back for us. Emmanuel. Lord, help us to honor our friends and neighbors in every way that we can. Love them, take care of them, protect them. And at the same time, Lord, show them what true hope and joy looks like. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. For those of you that are watching live streaming, I would just like to say thanks for joining us. This concludes the live streaming portion of our service.